Welcome back to the Southland Christian Ministries podcast. During these next couple of weeks, we will be posting sermons that were given at the camp from previous summers. Our speaker for today is Dr. Carl Herbster. This was recorded during Southland's family camp in 2004. His message is entitled, Having the Mind of Christ in Finances. Be content. Is that simple? Be content. Having food and raiment therewith, be content. Now look around. Look at everybody. Everybody looks like they're well-fed. Some are fed up, but, you know, we're all, you know, doing pretty We all have nice clothes, far more than we need. You know, and plenty of shoes, ladies. Don't need any more. You know, how many suits can you wear at one time? You know, it's, it's amazing. Are we not blessed? Don't we have an abundance? I mean, we, we think we need more, and that's just our, our human nature. And there's nothing wrong with having more as long as we're content with what we have. I wish you would do a study sometime. We're not going to take the time this morning to do a study of the word covetousness. Covetousness. Now, covetousness is not the, the problem of having. Covetousness is the problem of not being satisfied with what you have. And we always look around and see somebody that drives a nice car, lives in a big house, has a lot of fine things, a lot of money. They must be coveting. No, they could be some of the best givers in the world. They could be a, giving far more percentage-wise than, than we we're giving. Sometimes it's the people that don't have a lot that are the ones that are always coveting. Now, it could be either way. But the Bible just says coveting is when you're not satisfied with what you have. When you're not satisfied with the home you live in. You're not satisfied with the clothes you have. You're not satisfied with the good food that God has provided for us. And you're not satisfied with the car that sometimes runs. <laughs> you know, it sometimes doesn't. We, we just ought to be thankful for what God has given us. And we should be content with what we have. Now, let me ask you, how do most people prove that they're not content with what they have? They go into debt. I say it this way. They spend money they don't have to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. Now, I saw that in the business world. You know, I drove a certain car because I had to have this status, you know, and I saw I bought this car that I couldn't afford, you know, so I could impress people. I wasn't really interested in really impressing, but except, you know, this was kind of the thing. I'm glad I got out of that treadmill. I'm glad I got out of that, that routine. You know, we have this tendency. Oh, we could also buy things that we do want with money that we don't have, right? Because what do we do? We charge it. We just say, charge it, and it is so easy. Now, uh, let me tell you, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with a credit card. I'm not going to have a credit card burning here today, but if you can't control it, you ought to do plastic surgery. You know what plastic surgery is? Cut them up. I do a lot of financial counseling and uh, spend a lot of time with couples because I think it's one of the major things that's creating problems in homes and families is finances. And uh, one of the things that I do right away when they come in, and I said, okay, where are your credit cards? Give them to me. Uh, you're not going to use them again until you get yourself out of debt. As a matter of fact, there's three things I warn people about in this whole area of not being satisfied. Cars, uh, Christmas, and credit cards. Three C's. I've seen more budgets get busted with those three things. Cars, Christmas, and credit cards. You say, what do you mean cars? Well, Cars, because you're not satisfied with the car you have, and they have this 
big sale. And so now you can buy this uh, new car on 60 easy payments. Do you real? Do you figure out how long 60 easy payments are? You know, you're going to realize how fast you're going to be upside down in a new car. You know, if you, to, if you just go out and, and buy a, a car that's one year old, and they have now all these opportunities to buy these rental cars. You'll be, you can buy the car for half price. We just did it not too long ago again. And it's a, a nice car. You can even get warranty on those cars because they still don't have the number of miles that, uh, that has to be warranty. And, you know, if people knew that we were going in debt to be able to um, you know, do all the Christmas presents, they would, they, they'd be brokenhearted to even accept the presents. It'd be much better for you to, you know, just do with a lot less. As a matter of fact, when, when we were in the school in Greenville and working on our doctor's degree, uh, what we would tell uh, our kids is they're going to have to be content just to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house because if we're going to pay for the gas to go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, we're not going to have, uh, have the money for, for Christmas presents for them. Of course, they knew Grandma and Grandpa would take good care of them, and so they were happy for the gas. <laughs> of course, then we had to figure out how to get a U-Haul trailer to get all the junk home, you know what I'm talking about? And then... But you, know, you have to make some decisions, but you'll not know the number of people that I know that just go extravagant at Christmas, and then they have all these bills that they have to deal with after Christmas. And it's so important for you to be content and, and realize you don't have to have all those things. And then the, the whole problem of credit cards. It's uh, one of those things, again, you get the bill, and you say, there's no way I charged that much stuff this month. And then you start going through it little by little by little, and you say, yes, I did, yes, because it's so easy. A lot different than a, than a checkbook when it has to balance. At least it's supposed to. I know some of you think as long as there's checks in the checkbook, it's okay. No, really, there needs to be money in the bank for you to write the checks. You know, I, you know, of course, my wife knows what I do. You know, I pay, 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 prepay bills and do everything I can so there's no money in the checkbook. So when she says, hey, can I have any money to go spend? I say, well, about $3.62. You know, you got about left for the month, make it, it's I, she's got me figured out now, so after 34 years, I, I can't do that anymore. But the, the lesson is just be content. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in that impulse buy that I used to try to get you to do as a marketer for Procter & Gamble Corporation. You know, where you, you duke them with, but with some of these things and you just get them to buy because, oh yeah, you know, do I really need it? My God shall supply all your, he doesn't say greed, he says need. So having food and raiment, therewith be, be content. Be content. So that's number one principle. Be content. Number two is be controlled. Be controlled. Verse 9 says, 1 Timothy 6, They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and in many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For they love of money is the root of all evil. You know, when we're not controlling ourselves and we're letting money control us instead of letting the Holy Spirit of God control us, we have a problem. We need to be controlled. Now, the best tool for helping you to be controlled is obviously walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, having the mind of Christ. That's, that's what, and letting the Holy Spirit of God direct you and, and being submissive and obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. There is a tool that can help you. It is called a budget. Have any of you heard of budget? You spell it B-U-D-G-E-T. And do you get, get it? You've got to have a budget. Because uh, some people are going down and they don't know it. 
because when you have more outgrow than you have income, you're in for a downfall. And at least you like to know if you're going bankrupt, wouldn't you? I tell you, I'm just finishing up our church's budget. Uh, looks like it's going to be a little over $6 million budget this year for the ministries that we're a part of at uh, Tri-City. And uh, you, it, it's nice. Last year, we knew that we were losing money every month. Now, you don't like to lose money every month, but at least we knew we were losing money every month because we were getting ready to do this sale of the property, and so we were anticipating that. And Your wife will be so secure when she knows, when she goes to the grocery store, that this is the amount of money that can be spent for groceries, and when you do that, you're not putting this, you know, in the poorhouse. You know, that you give her a, a, a number that she understands this is what can be spent. And if, if you've got a, a problem in utilities, and she understands when the air conditioning has to be turned up uh, or where the, the heat has to be, you know, not, uh, you know, turned so you're not as warm as you'd like. If you ever have the battle of the thermostats in your household, you know what I'm talking about? I think I've given my wife a cold this week because, you know, I like it cool. Are you all cold? You're pretty good today. Some are, say, some are awesome. See, we could have the battle of the thermostat right here. Some are shaking, shaking their head no. Some are shaking their head yes. And you have that in the household. But sometimes you have to be careful about utilities just because of your budget. And what about the telephone? You know, it's, it's amazing what can happen with the telephone. Of course, now I don't know how much longer we have to have telephones if we just all have cell phones and get on these, you know, million-minute plans. You know, it's, it's amazing some of the things that are out there. But this is all figuring out in your budget. What, what is it that we, we're going to have coming in? What is it we're going to go come out? And you've got to balance the budget. Don't be a good old American and, and have deficit spending. Like the United States of America, it may work for the government. they got control of the printing presses. It doesn't work for us. So it's very important that you, you have a budget, that you have a budget, and, and that you are also wise, wise in your investments and in your borrowing. Now, this is, gives us to a controversial subject that you know I, th I think is good for us to at least discuss for a little bit. You may have some more questions later. Does the Bible outlaw borrowing? Now, before you all answer me with several different answers here, is it a sin to borrow money? Well, go back to Matthew chapter 25. I think it's poor stewardship a lot of times to borrow money but we have to be careful when we say it's a sin, when it's contrary to God's will, it's contrary to God's law. Because in Matthew chapter 25, we have the parable of talents. Are you familiar with the parable of talents? Now it's a financial illustration, and it's basically telling us that we ought to be wise stewards of what he entrusts to us. Remember, all finances are God's finances. It's all his. Ruth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Every good gift comes from the Father above. It's all the Lord's. I'm simply his steward. I'm simply a manager for him of that. And he talks, I think he's talking about our spiritual gifts and the things he gives us. And if you don't use them, you lose them. But he uses a financial illustration, and he uses good illustrations. And, and you know the, the parable. But I want you to look at the conclusion here in verse 27 when he's talking to the slothful servant. He says, Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. What's usury? Interest. Now, how do you get interest? How do you get interest? And how do, why does the bank pay you interest? Because they're manning their money out, right? If you put money in the bank, that's the only money they have to loan out. 
uh, back then, 8% on our mortgage, we decided why be paying the bank 8% when some of our senior saints, it started out with a widow lady that was only able to earn like 3.5% or something like that, and she was ha having a hard time struggling. We said, why don't we allow her to give us that money? We pay down our mortgage and we pay her the 8%. I'd much rather give it to her and to some of our, our people who can't earn it at the bank than to give it to this secular bank. And so uh, we had our attorney set up something called notes to individuals. Perfectly legal, supposedly, is what he said. And it was perfectly legal. The only thing was there was a restriction. You could only do 15 of those a year in a church. And we did more than that. And that's the only thing that we found out that we have done wrong. And, of course, now that in 2000, they changed the law to 25. But, um, and we never did more than 25 in a year's time. But we, we were doing it before 2000. And so, uh, technically, we... We violated the law on that, and we're just getting that figured out. But that's how this whole thing came up about the bank. But the idea was, why pay the bank 8% and only let our people earn 4% or whatever amount it was? And then we it changed, and we got a better rate on our mortgage to 5% uh, because, you know, interest rates came down, we refinanced, so we were just willing to pay our people 5%. Nobody ever complained. Everything seemed to, to be great until this one individual turned us into the Secretary of State. But the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 16 that sometimes the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. And again, in a parable, dealing with the finances and not understanding those margins and not understanding what people do with the money. And here he said, you, you need to put it to the bankers. I tell our seminary guys, there's three guys you need to know when you go to a town. You need to know a good doctor, <clears throat> a good lawyer, and a good banker. Somewhere along the way, you're going to need them. And if they're in your church, hallelujah, um, great, but most of the time they're not. You just need to get to know somebody you can get wise counsel from in those areas. But the point I'm making here is that Jesus Christ said, you should put the money to the exchangers. He would never tell somebody to do something that would cause a brother to stumble. Remember the stumbling block principle? He'd never tell somebody to do something that would cause them to sin. And if you put the money to the bank, what you're doing is allowing somebody to borrow money. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, is it better to be a lender than a borrower? Of course, because the Proverbs is very plain. The borrower is servant to the lender. I've been working this week on our big sale deal and uh, the buyer's financing and our financing and all these things. And, you know, who calls the shots? The banks. I told our staff a couple weeks ago, I said, is this thing's been dragging on with all the attorneys. And I think sometimes it's just dragging on so they have more attorney's fees. But, you know, um, and it just drags on. It says, you know what we're learning was what the Bible already have told us. The borrower is servant to the lender. And you have to understand that whenever you borrow money. But it can be a very wise investment to borrow money. You all know the best illustration. A home. A home. We have our seminary guys that come to Kansas City. And uh, they'd have to decide whether they want to rent or whether they want to buy. And I'll tell you, even guys that have only been there two years have made out wonderful buying instead of rent. Because if you spend the money renting, what happens to that money? It goes into somebody else's pocket for him to make his house payment. And if you, if you do it, at least you have two benefits in the United States of America. One, you're building equity. Because that house is appreciating, not depreciating. And the, and the fat, by the way, under the Bush administration, it's gone as fast as ever in the history of America. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Kelly's not talking about that. But it, 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 that's what's happening. I mean, things have really boomed. We just built a house two years ago, and it's amazing to us how much more it's worth now than it was when we built it. But I didn't have the cash to build it. 
but I was able to uh, utilize a, a borrowing institution to be able to uh, have that. And now I've earned money because of the fact that I, that I borrowed money to build. If I wouldn't have borrowed money to build it, I wouldn't have had that appreciation. I'd be still paying rent to somebody. And so I encourage people, young couples, to uh, you know, borrow money to build a, buy a house. I don't encourage young couples to borrow money to buy a car that depreciates. Now, I know sometimes they have to. And, and to get them started and all those kinds. Of, but it's not what I encourage them to do. I encourage them to save money to buy a car because uh, that thing depreciates so fast and you're going to have some car payments because of the, the uh, you don't realize, because of the maintenance that's on it, because of the tires that break down, because of the insurance payments and all the other things that come along. My, my general rule, my general rule is uh, as, you, as you try to be a wise steward of the Lord's finances, is only borrow on appreciating items. Only borrow on appreciating items. Something that's going to go up in value, not something that's going to go down in value. And there aren't a lot of things that'll do that, but property is one, my brother. So when you get out there, boy, you know, they'll rot away. Get, even if you, even if you buy the property, that's what we thought. We, I mean, it was a big deal at Tri-City when I went in there, and I didn't realize. I didn't ask them what their position was on borrowing or anything like that. And I went in and said, hey, can we borrow, we're about $300,000 to uh, buy this property out there. And man, I, I had to go through a whole lesson on finances because I didn't realize we had such a large segment of the people that thought it was a sin to borrow money. Then I said, well, what do you have mortgages on your house? Yes. And I'd say, oh, well then how can you say it's a sin to borrow money? Well, it's a sin for the church to borrow money. Oh, thank you. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna hinder us, but you're not gonna hinder us. Guess who the church is? And for the longest time, we had at least 10% of our church that would vote no on anything we were borrowing money for just because of the fact we were borrowing money. And that was okay, because we agreed to disagree agreeably. But aren't we glad we did? Because now that property is worth $18 million, and so we're getting ready to close the sale. What if we wouldn't have borrowed money, and somebody else would have bought that property? And, I mean, it, and we even sat down, and our accountant sat down and figured out how much interest we paid on that, on all of our properties all the time. And we still are doubling our money. So, I mean, praise the Lord. But it's because it's an appreciating act by the grace of God. But I guess God, you know, probably is punishing us because we borrow money. That's what some, you know, it, and I'm, I'm cautious because I would never tell somebody to do something that is contrary to their conviction or their conscience. I would never tell you to do that. And I'd say, man, if you don't believe it's wrong to ever borrow money, then be consistent. Never borrow money. You just yourself do that and be consistent in that. But I've worked with some churches that believed it was never right to borrow money, and they, and they could have built their building and had it paid for it with the increased construction costs that took place over the next five years as they were waiting to save the money to build the building that now they can't afford because the price has doubled. And they spent all that time. And you talk about discouraging people. And so all I'm saying is I don't believe it's a sin to borrow money. I think it's very unwise in a lot of situations, and especially because we're not controlled and not content, we borrow money to buy things we don't need. And we need to be evaluating things, are they a need or are they agreed? And if they're a need, guess what? My God shall supply all your need. And some of the ways to do it is by giving us good lending institutions and giving us wisdom to be able to know how to do, accomplish these things in the society in which we live. You must be content. You must be controlled. Number three. I said I was going to leave time for questions, so I better hurry. <laughs> Number three. You must be communicating. You must be communicating. 
Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. One of the reasons I think that um, Tri-City has been blessed by the Lord is because Tri-City is a giving church. And I'm not just talking about the people within the church. We're not a, a wealthy church. We don't have a lot of wealthy people in our church. Our best givers are the people that have their children in the Christian school, so that means they also pay in tuition, and they're still the best percentage givers in our church. You say, wow, how, how do you know it? Well, we don't know exactly what people make, but we know their jobs, and we kind of know categories, and we never ask what people give. They think that our, our business manager will go through and evaluate different groups and, and talk about it and just say, you know, that they're uh, good givers. And he did an evaluation and showed that the people who are giving to the Christian, who are paying the Christian school tuition are also, in his estimation, probably our best percentage givers in the church. Why is that? They're dedicated. They're committed. They're committed to their children, but they're also committed to the church. And um, he says, those that are, are rich, in verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to be ready to communicate, to distribute those riches. That they do good, verse 18 says, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, when he's talking about communicate, he's talking about that term, give. And it is a good way to communicate somebody love. Because God so loved the world that we gave. And we so loved God that we should give. And we communicate something to God and we communicate something to others when we give. And I believe it was our responsibility as individuals to give. And a lot of times we don't see the blessings of the Lord because we're honoring the Lord with our substance to the first fruits of all of our increase, Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Now, I have to admit to you, this was again another hard area for me. I couldn't afford to tithe. I just couldn't, I couldn't afford it as a young businessman. I had a, a wife and three small children, and they were all very expensive. And, uh, Lord, I got to take care of my family, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, right? You take care of my family? Yeah, but family is not first. God is first. Family is second. You know what I found out? Through a lot of painful process, God gets his tithe. Man. You will give it through Roy, he takes it through hospital bills and car wrecks and Appliances that break down, and you know, I, I, I finally said, Uncle, <laughs> and praise the Lord uh, that God gave me victory in that area to where now, give and it shall be given unto you. And by the way, it's not always dollars and cents that He gives you. Study Luke 16 and look at verse 11 in particular, where it says, If you're not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will give to you the true riches? True riches are not dollars and cents. I tell you, having my family serving the Lord and seeing my grandkids learning the scriptures, no money can buy that. And a lot of parents wishes, wish it could because they would pay any amount of money to have what we have in our family. Now, a wonderful church, great, great people to serve with. You can't, you can't buy that. Some people are trying to, but you can't do it. You know, your health, your peace of mind, the joy that's in your heart, you, know, you can't buy those kind of things. God gives those kind of things, but he can't give it to us if we're not faithful in the unrighteous mammon. How can he entrust to us the true riches if we're not faithful? And the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 that a lot of people are robbing God. They're robbing God. I only rob the God with their tithes and offerings. It's not just the 10% that we're robbing. It's the offerings over and above the 10% that we're not willing to give to missions or to the building project or to somebody that has a need. You see, we're robbing God. I preached a message on the, the great robbery at Tri-City. I mean, I... I I think I waxed elegant. You know, it was one of those ones where you knew you were hitting. And man, I was, and I was passionate about the thing. We're robbing God, folks. There's so much more we could do if we weren't thieves. You know, I just, well, let's, and 
at the end of the church, we had a family came and joined the church. And as I do, I introduced the people. And, and I said, we're so glad that the Crooks joined the church today. <laughs> Tom and Barbara Crooks. And I didn't even, you know, I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a, didn't have a thought. And I'm just going, well, it's good to have the crooks. Everybody started laughing. And I'm looking around and my wife's like, crooks, crooks, Robert, crooks. She's trying to, you know, front row. That's what she said. So kind of keep me straight. They're, oh, oh, oh. And Tom and Barbara are still there, faithful servants. Of the Lord. And they're not crooks. They're good givers and they're good faithful servants. I want you to know. But there's a lot of crooks in our churches. Might be some crooks here. You know, they're robbing God. And you're robbing yourself of a blessing. I'm just telling you. I, I've experienced it firsthand. Um, you know, not being a, a tither and a giver back in my business days when I probably could have avoided it really better. And, but, and, and seeing how you can't outgive God, how you give and it's given unto you and how God, and it's true for an individual. It's true for a family. I believe it's true for a church. I believe it's true for a country. Now, I, I could probably question some of the foreign aid that we're sending out. But I, one of the reasons God has blessed our country, you study the Proverbs. Let me, let me just give you three, okay, on taking care of the poor. And this is God's will too, right? Amen? I mean, we don't want, you know, are you involved in the inner city? Are you working in the city on your mission? Are you taking care of the needs of those that are less fortunate? Now, I'm not talking about if they're not willing to work that they should eat. I'm talking about if they are and they have genuine needs. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. And verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which you have given, will he pay them again? He'll bless you for it. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9. He that has a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 27. Proverbs 28 and verse 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. I love 1 John chapter uh, 3 and verse 17. It says, uh, if you see your brother in need and you shape your bowels of compassion from him, where dwarf the love of God in you? You know, we're supposed to be do good, Galatians 6.10, to all men, especially to the household of faith, especially taking care of the needs of our brethren within our local church. And I praise the Lord, but we have something called care share groups in our church. They meet the first Saturday night of every month, and they're set up in different locations. And uh, these care share groups are such a blessing because of the fact that so many times I'll hear of needs that are met through our care share groups. I'll never even, never even brought to you. So many people say, Pastor, don't you know so-and-so's need? Pastor, what's the church going to do about so-and-so's need? And sometimes we pastors want to say, what are you going to do about it? I mean, you're the one that command is given to. You have the wherewithal to meet the need, then don't bother me. And praise the Lord for our care share groups and the people in those care share groups. The number of times needs have been met. Both that financial needs, but also physical needs. A rift needs to be repaired or somebody's moving. And I find out about it later because a thank you note comes to the church. And I say, that's the body functioning the way the body's supposed to function. You know, give and it shall be given unto you. Don't see how little you can give. See how much you can give. And boy, it, it, it's such a joy when your, your children grow up and, you know, and they, you don't longer have all the college bills and all the other things. And yet they haven't cut your pay yet. You know, you're still, and and some of you haven't experienced that yet, but it, it's coming. And you still have the same income. That's not the time to see how much more you can buy for yourself. That's the time to see how much more you can do for others. When I was a businessman, and uh, in the later years of my business uh, life, when I was making a very good salary, very active in the church, I was able to do a lot for people. And it was such a joy. And then I went into the ministry, and, man, everybody was doing it for me. And 
it was kind of hard to even accept it for a while. A pastor friend told me, he says, Carl, remember, it's more blessed to give than receive. Don't rob somebody of a blessing. But I'm thankful that I have the opportunity again to help some other people put their children through college, help some other people send their kids to camp, and do some other things now because of uh, my children to, um, you know, being grown. And uh, it, it's so wonderful to be able to give. And there's so much joy in giving. And we need to be looking to be givers rather than getters. After all, isn't that the servant's heart? He, he took upon himself the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men. Let's serve the Lord with our finances, or better yet, let's serve the Lord with his finances, being wide stewards of what he's entrusted to us. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the truths learned from the Word of God will challenge your heart to a greater degree of love for God and a desire to make Him known through your life. Join us tomorrow for the next message. Thank you, and may God bless you.